when I first heard of sovereign election several years ago, it just seemed so preposterous to me. I thought, wow, people actually believe this? It was unthinkable to me that God would actually choose certain people over others. I felt that it was total arrogance on the part of the believer to believe such a thing. And I thought, what a sick, twisted way to portray our God, right? Don't these people know their Bibles? Don't they know anything about God? I just kept wondering, like, how can you possibly think that? Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hi, and thanks for joining me today. Today, I want to speak about something that's very near and dear to my heart, and Although it's near and dear to my heart, it's also something that um, is controversial within the church. And, well, unfortunately, God's people have let it cause division among themselves. Have you ever found yourself on the other side of an issue that you never in a million years thought you would find yourself on, completely having to change your, your beliefs, your outlook, and your perspective on everything? I found myself in that position um, six or seven years ago, and I'm still on the other side of the fence that I never in a million years thought I would be on, but God had different plans for me. And what I'd like to do in this episode is probably actually going to be a two-part episode, but what I'd like to do is share a true story, testimony of what happened to me. Now, this doctrine that I'm going to discuss right up front, I'm going to say I do not believe that believing one over the other makes anyone less Christian or less a child of God. I am not saying that because I know I was a child of God before God showed me what he showed me. But there was a point that I myself vehemently rejected this doctrine because it just left this bitter, nasty taste in my mouth. And frankly, it totally disgusted me. And because it disgusted me so, I wouldn't even let myself completely and fully go there because of the ridiculousness of this doctrine. So many grounded, wonderful preachers, um, past and present embrace, which I couldn't figure why, but I wasn't about to. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I am talking about the doctrine of predestination or election. Um, Some people call it Calvinism, but I don't like to refer to it as Calvinism because this isn't something that John Calvin came up with or invented. This is something the Apostle Paul spoke very directly and clearly about in the Bible. This is something that was totally biblical long before John Calvin uh, came along. I ask you to please, if you're hearing this and saying, oh, for crying out, nope, 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 not going there. Please hear me out. Please hear what happened to me. Because I, I think as believers, we should always be willing to hear a differing viewpoint, because first of all, we never know what we may or may not learn. If you are on the opposite side of this issue than I am, and you're totally secure with it, 
then what have you got to lose, right? I would just like for you to, to hear me out on this, and then you can take away from it whatever you like. Again, we have a choice, right? You can walk away and say, yeah, whatever, okay, I don't think so, or maybe go to God and say, what do you have to say about what I just heard, Lord? Because we're supposed to be truth seekers, and in seeking God's truth, and this is what I had to do, we need to be able to set all our presuppositions aside and say, Lord, I don't care if I have to change my thinking, change my way of life, I do things differently, do a complete 180. I just want your truth. We should only want God's truth, not his truth to fit in with how we feel or what we may think. But we want his truth revealed, and it's always, of course, revealed in his word, especially when we compare scripture with scripture, which is what I want to do. But that's, that's a true truth seeker, not seeking something to validate what they already think or feel or believe that they, they know. Set everything aside. Um, believe me, I had to in my, in my fight and my struggle against this. I have done my homework on this. I've listened and read to all the refuting, and I refuted it myself and, um, and prayer and, and time with God. And I'll, I'll tell you my story about that in just a moment. If you want to try to convince me of the error of my beliefs, um, you're probably not going to tell me anything I haven't heard before and research for myself because, again, I just want God's truth. That's it. And I'm at the point where I can't possibly see it the other way anymore. Um, I now have a bad taste actually in my mouth for what people would call Arminianism, non-Calvinistic views. Again, never thought I would be on this side of the fence. So yes, when I first heard of sovereign election several years ago, it just seemed so preposterous to me. I thought, wow, people actually believe this? It was unthinkable to me that God would actually choose certain people over others. I felt that it was total arrogance on the part of the believer to believe such a thing. And I thought, what a sick, twisted way to portray our God, right? Don't these people know their Bibles? Don't they know anything about God? I just kept wondering, like, how can you possibly think that? I remember, you know, great preachers I love, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Charles Spurgeon, and Paul Washer, Vody Balcom, these, these preachers I would listen to that were so doctrinally sound in so many areas. And someone said to me, oh, but you know, they believe in predestination. And I was like, my heart just sank. And I, it was like there was this flaw in them. And I said, God, how can they be so wise and sound in these areas and then embrace something like that? But anyway, I'm just thinking, imagine how unfair that would be for God to do such a thing because there are so many good people out there who deserve a chance to be saved, right? So someone wants to be saved, but they can't because God hasn't chosen them. I mean, these were all the questions going through my head. And I'm thinking, well, if that's the case, then isn't it God and not them that's responsible for their sin? How can God possibly hold anything against them then? I mean, it's not their fault. God didn't choose them. And I'm sure if they had their way, they might have chosen him, right? And it's one thing if people on their own don't choose God, but for God to not choose them, believe me, nothing about this predestination and election stuff made any sense. And another thing I couldn't understand was how people could disregard over and over again words in the Bible, like the word all and the word world in the Bible, right? Salvation is open to all. Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's there in black and white. How, why can't they understand that God simply foresaw who was going to accept him? 
I mean, after all, he's God, right? He can look down through the corridors of time and see who's going to do what and know who's going to do what. So this doctrine of predestination and election, it just made God seem so cruel, even, I guess, hateful and definitely, most definitely unfair. And I truly felt sorry for people who embraced this school of thought. So you're listening to someone who, if again, you do not um, recognize this doctrine as legitimate, I can relate and I'm sure you can relate to what I'm saying because I was there for many, many, many years of my Christian walk. And you would think with the preachers that I loved to listen to and admired that it would give me reason to look a little more into the doctrine, but I hated it so much. It was just such a radical belief to me. I didn't even entertain doing so. And I thought, well, they're human after all, right? Again, like some sort of flaw perhaps in their character. So that was my stance in regard to the doctrine of sovereign election. I was what the theological world referred to as an Arminian, although at that time I wasn't even familiar with the word or who he was, Arminius. But that was before God in his glorious love and his grace revealed to me his truth and the true joy of my salvation. I wish, oh, how I wish that all believers would embrace God's glorious truth and exactly how it is that they were saved and lovingly brought into the family of God. Previously, I knew I was saved and I knew God loved me, but there was always something that just was missing, I guess, that I couldn't put my finger on. I I was saved when I was 10, but I kind of felt it um, my entire Christian life. I brought my feelings to the Lord about it. And I surmised that it had to do something with my joy in the Lord, honestly, even though I knew all these things and I was grateful, but where was that joy? I thought, shouldn't it be so much more than what it seemed to be? I just didn't seem to feel some of the things that the Bible spoke of. I didn't really have the full realization that I should have being a child of God. Does that make sense? Well, several years ago, I was feeling particularly anxious, in a good way, anxious, about spending time with the Lord later on in the evening because I would go down to my room and and spend some time in the Word and prayer and just just listening, you know, in my Bible. But there was something stirring within me. There was something inside me that just was anxious. It couldn't wait to go and sit in my bed and spend my usual time with Him like I did. So I remember going out of my way that night to go to bed earlier. And I said to God as I crawled into my bed, Lord, You must have something very special to share with me tonight because I feel as though the Holy Spirit within me has been excitedly anticipating this all day. And I did. I I said that to God. Now, I wish I could say, because I can't, I honestly don't remember what it was that even brought on my debate with God that night and the next couple nights over this doctrine of predestination. I don't know how it started (laughs) in my time with the Lord, but it did. What I do remember is asking God all the usual questions and objections that I had, throwing them all out there that, again, most people do. And I threw all of my what I thought was sound reasoning at God. (laughs) But as I did this, all my questions were being scripturally answered and my objections one by one just cast down. And believe me, I fought against this because as much as I didn't want to believe that God would choose some people over others, I wanted his truth even more. And as I said earlier, 
And I did this. I laid myself open before him and I just cried out to him for his precious truth. I remember saying, Father, I trust you. Even if I have to change everything I once believed, I just want your truth. And you know, God, if this is your truth, you need to please confirm it and help me, help me to embrace it. And as you and I both know, God is amazing. God is faithful. Until the wee hours of the morning, not only did he reveal to me the truth that I had been seeking through prayer in his word, but you know, he revealed it to me through my personal life experience as well. Because predestination foundation is the depravity of man, right? Our sinful state. And I know most people, when they hear depravity, they you picture this demon-possessed person running around, um, foaming at the mouth, or, you, or Adolf Hitler, or something like that, right? Like the worst of the worst. But depravity, depraved mind, biblically speaking, is defined as worthless or futile thinking. Uh, not sound thinking or judgment. They can't even reason, okay? That's what a depraved mind it really is. Because as the Bible tells us, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. If we're dead, we can't do anything, right? We're dead. Someone has to revive us or resurrect us. Well, we can't do it ourselves. That leaves God, right? But I, I was having a hard time wrapping my brain around this total depravity. But again, in order to understand this doctrine, you have to be made aware of and embrace the fact of the true condition of man's heart, your heart, my heart. But I got to tell you, my mind and my flesh really, really warred against that. And Romans 9, like how could I have not seen Romans 9 for what it clearly is? Was I blind? One would have to wonder because everywhere I was led in my Bible that night, the words elect, chosen, appointed, ordained, they jumped off the pages how could I have missed that all these years? Yet, so many people do. And as more and more of God's truth was slowly revealed, I was just, I was, I remember being flooded with so many emotions and so many tears because as more and more light was shed upon the truth, I wept. And I thought, God, why have you chosen me? I don't deserve to be chosen because I'm nothing. And I can think of so many people more deserving deserving, right? There we are with that deserving word, human thinking. But I don't deserve to be chosen. I'm nothing. And I wept and I wept and I wept at the thought that this might be true. And you know, as it slowly sank in that I had absolutely nothing, I mean nothing, to do with my salvation. I remember going to get out of bed and God speaking to me and saying as I was getting out of that bed and it just stopped me. When you're up in heaven someday praising me for your salvation, how will I truly have all the glory that is due me if you had anything to do with it? Let me tell you, that sealed the deal for me. It all made sense at hearing those words. And it was then that the foolishness of my thinking all these years was truly brought before me because God was right. If he had left my salvation decision in my hands, okay, the hands of Rebecca Bershwinger, not only would I have never come to him, but every other saved person and I would have room to boast. We'd be up there in heaven either talking about why our neighbor Fred rejected God and we didn't, 
what was there in us that made us were we smarter were we just were we just better nicer kinder what no room for boasting we will be on our faces before god knowing the only thing that we brought to our salvation was our sin completely empty hands No room to boast, something that the Bible explicitly speaks against. How humbling is this sovereign election? And and I want to address something right here because I had someone say to me not that long ago that it's a false humility. People who embrace the doctrine of election or the doctrine of grace, (laughs) sovereign grace. Do not judge people when you're on the other side, okay? The the other side of the fence on this. Judge not lest ye be judged. That's the kind of judging that God tells us not to. He doesn't say to not call out sin, okay? You know, the world says, oh, don't judge me when they're called out on doing something wrong. That's not what the Bible's talking about. But this kind of judgment, you have no idea how it felt for me coming to this realization what my thoughts, what my heart, and what my feelings are in this situation. Because you weren't there. You are not me. So don't ever, please, don't ever accuse someone of a false humility. You're not there. You can't understand. You can't possibly understand. I felt guilty. I cried and cried and cried over guilt as being one that God decided to save. Because again, I felt there were many more others more deserving than I. And I know the only thing any of us truly deserves actually is God's wrath. The wages of sin is death. But just to think that out of his kindness and mercy, he had chosen me. As the Bible says, when there was nothing in me for him to have done so. That's the thing. Because I'm thinking, man, if I were you, God, I would have been one of the people you passed up for sure. Nothing in me. And it was then I heard him say in my heart, I hear this voice say, yet it pleased me to do so. And I believe that was the very first time in my life that I truly, truly knew and found out how grace truly feels. It was overwhelming. I was overwhelmed. And I just feel it even talking about it sharing with you my story. I have never been so grateful for my salvation as I have been since embracing the truth of God's sovereign election. And, you know, as I'm sharing this with you, I'm realizing that it was a lot of what was missing for me really was gratitude. Again, don't get me wrong. I was thankful for my salvation, but this is something different, this gratitude. It's a gratitude that one can feel rising up from the depths of their soul, one that can just take you over and sweep you away. And it's a gratitude that compels me to live for him no matter what the cost. Why? Because of what he did for me. Little old, foolish, silly, sinful me. This grace should cause us to reflect upon most every day and rejoice in the fact that we're his, even though by all accounts, we shouldn't be. 
I am awed by that. I never was before. There was no awe in there. Now, <laughs> I owe him so much. You, my friend, owe him so much in gratitude and service. How I really pray that every believer can experience and know that kind of debt, that kind of gratitude. I was still trying to grapple with this newfound truth. And I remember asking God one final time, Lord, am I truly one of your chosen children? Because I still find it hard to believe that you purposely chose someone like me. And it was then that my heavenly father reminded me of the day a few years ago. Um, before that, I woke up with this tune in my head and it was just singing I have loved you with an everlasting love. And all day, this little tune played over and over in my head with the words, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And as I was getting into my bed for my quiet time with the Lord that night, I said to God, half joking, Lord, I have had these words playing over and over in my head all day long. Are you trying to tell me something? And I proceeded to open up my Bible willy nilly. I just opened it. And my eyes immediately fell upon these words. I mean, immediately. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that's Jeremiah 31.3. I sat and I wept. And I thanked God that night for going out of his way to tell me that he loved me. And, you know, back when this happened, I had thought that the word drawn meant how he created me, that he created me with loving kindness. But the night he reminded me of it, I knew that drawn referred to his drawing me to him. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. That's um, John six forty four. Anyway, God reminded me of that day, and I, at that point, I needed to hear no more. I wholeheartedly embraced. I jumped over the fence. I was on the other side, the side I never in a million years, the side I thought was so arrogant and just preposterous and disgusting and unfair, and there I was. I embraced the beauty of God's sovereign election. The full-blown, full-blown joy and realization of what God had done and who I was in him hit home. And I would have looked silly to anybody but God as I sat in my bed. <laughs> but I sat there, my arms held high, and I was sobbing. And I was shouting over and over, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> but that's what happened. This is my personal testimony as to the wonder and the beauty of the truth of predestination and election. God's sovereign grace. You know, I think that much like a growing child is God's children, we have growth spurts. And I had a big growth spurt that, that night, um, those few nights. And of course, often during trials, but this has been the most blessed growth spurt I have ever had. And I know now beyond the shadow of a doubt, because I have done my homework afterwards, okay, there's no way around the truth of election and predestination. And by God's grace, I can no longer see it 
any other way. There's no turning back. And I'm forever grateful for that. Again, I don't refer to myself as a Calvinist because I don't view the doctrine of, of sovereign election as Calvinism because it was in the scriptures as truth long before our friend Mr. Calvin was ever even born. And, and I have to say, I had an experience at church that following Sunday. We had just joined this church recently, and it happened to be a Presbyterian church. And Presbyterian churches are generally known for their belief in predestination, election, sovereign grace. And I was in Sunday school class, and we were discussing something. And I said something that alluded. I don't remember what it was, but I said something that alluded to this <laughs> sovereign election. And the room kind of got quiet for a few seconds, and I thought, okay. <laughs> and I remember we had Sunday school before church, so I remember sitting in the pew waiting for church to start afterwards and just thinking, God, you showed me this. And then I, I'm in a church where I thought that they embraced this, but that was awkward. It's like, Lord, please, I, I want someone to come alongside me here in my newfound revelation from you, please don't leave me alone in this. Give me some support. No sooner than I got done saying that prayer to myself, um, a gentleman from the Sunday school class came over and sat down beside me. He says, wow, he goes, a little awkward in there for a minute, huh? And he says, when you alluded to predestination, he says, he goes, unfortunately, not, not everyone embraces that belief. And those that do don't really, they don't want to get into it, he said, but he goes, I'm just here to tell you, absolutely, he says, you bet God's sovereign election, he goes, I'm a firm believer in it, I just want you to know that you're not alone, and I was so grateful to God for that, because it was a little discouraging. For the next episode, I just want to talk about a few of the things that I struggled with when it comes to this doctrine this sadly controversial doctrine within the church that divides brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, it shouldn't. You know, we got to set our pride aside because everybody's like, oh, are you saying I'm not this? I'm, you know, we always go back to somehow making it about ourselves. I know it's instead of God, which is why we make our salvation about ourselves, I guess, too, right? Um, let's look at it this way. And I'm going to share resources with you, by the way, that, that have been very helpful to me. But we are all bound for hell. We are all dead. Again, dead in our trespasses and sins, as the Bible says. Dead men need resurrecting. We are incapable of resurrecting ourselves, okay? Because if we could, well, we don't need God at all. So across the board, no one will turn to God. The Bible says no one seeks after him. There is not one righteous. But across the board, okay, no one from the history of humanity beginning to end no one's going to turn to God. We're going to prefer our evil and our sin. But God in his mercy said, I'm going to save some. I'm going to save some. And he chose those he was going to save again, not because somehow anyone is any better. No he chose just because it pleased him to do so. And those that he didn't, remember, it's our choice, okay? It's our choice when we sin. God can send us to hell for one sin if he wants, and rightfully so. But we sin over and over and over in our lives. 
we are responsible for our rejection of him. Again, we would all reject him anyway. We love our sin better. I mean, let's face it, even those who are saved, we struggle with sin, right? We're not completely sanctified yet. For the true believer, sin is not a way of life, a sinful lifestyle. And when we do sin, we, we should be grieved over it and repentant and asking God for his help in overcoming it. We should not be a slave to it. But none of us would come to him. We would choose not to. That's why those who are, are not chosen are still responsible for their choice to sin against him and reject him. Look, we're not supposed to completely have a grasp and understand everything because God is God. His ways are not our ways. His thinking is higher than ours. We know that. A lot of mysteries about God. The Trinity is one of them. So I'd like to talk about some things in the next episode that really made me hate this doctrine. Some people falsely claim that belief in sovereign election can cause, again, one to be proud and to take one's salvation for granted. I just wanted to address this again a little bit because I'm here to say that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell, okay? Because in truth, again, when you're on the other side of the fence, totally, totally opposite. I see my salvation in God's grace in a whole new, wonderful, glorious light. His glory is so much brighter And my desire to obey him and to live for him and to reach out to a dying world has become so much stronger. And my reason for sharing the gospel so much clearer now, because if the doctrine of sovereign election doesn't drive a person to pursue holiness, I'm not sure what will. And I can look back and see so many things in my past experiences in my Christian walk that God used to help me embrace the newfound truth. And again, it was preachers that he led me to, to listen to ahead of time. Paul Washer, John MacArthur, Charles Spurgeon, Vody Balcom, just to mention a few. And whom I, again, didn't realize till after I started listening to them were defenders of the doctrine. And the, since then, they've helped me to learn and to grow and to be encouraged. The doctrine of sovereign grace is an important truth that every believer, every church should, but does not embrace. And honestly, it grieves me when I think of it knowing now on the other side what's here. I've asked God at times, why why do we have to have this division among us, Lord? Why? Well, maybe we should start by asking the right questions. Because I think a good question to ask is, why does he save anybody? Why? Or do we feel that somehow, just somewhere, somewhere in the recesses of our minds and hearts, Do we somehow feel that maybe God owes us because we're not Adolf Hitler? We're not a serial killer. We're not Saddam Hussein, Bin Laden, whoever these awful people you can think of. Do we feel that he somehow owes us maybe? Because if we're asking the wrong questions, we're bound to come up with the wrong answers. And perhaps we should, instead of trying to prove each other wrong so that we can be right, because I've learned being right is highly overrated. But instead of trying to be right, if we could humble ourselves before our Lord with an open mind, call out to him for the truth at all costs, I believe he will reward you for your sincere desire for his truth. Because the Bible says, if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God who gives it generously without finding fault. James 1.15. He is faithful to his word. 
I realize that we as the created, we will never be able to fully comprehend with our finite minds, okay? Finite minds, limited minds, the thoughts, reasons, and plans of our infinite creators. Matter of fact, one person said that to embrace this doctrine, even though she says she's not sure where she stands, which, which it is, whether she's a Calvinist or an Arminian, basically, as the world likes to define the two camps, um, she's not completely sure which, so she's a little wishy-washy to begin with. But she says it's putting God in a box. Putting God in a box. I look at putting God in a box as the opposite. You can't put God in a box with, with um, sovereign election because it's something so beyond our comprehension and outside of our finite, limited thinking and minds, right? I think the other, you know, the Arminian view is putting God in a box, because we can't somehow grasp that we didn't have something, some say in our salvation. <laughs> but the thoughts, the reasons, and plans of our infinite creator are different than ours. They're higher than ours. And it's this holds true with the doctrine of predestination and election, as well as the Holy Trinity. But you know, the thing is, you can't fully comprehend or explain the Trinity either. But true believers are united in that area. Why not sovereign election? That's what I want to know. Can't completely comprehend or explain the Trinity, but we know it's true. Well, the Bible speaks of election all over the place. Yet, there's division in this area. Why? Could it be the hidden pride of the human heart? Because the Trinity, well, that's not really a threat to man's desire for free will in all areas. But the doctrine of election is. We as a church, we need to be united and we lose our power when we are not. I heard some say that it's really not important that we all be united in our views in regard to sovereign election because it's not pertinent to one's salvation. Okay, so it's not pertinent to your salvation, but as one who's experienced the difference it makes firsthand, I, I disagree with that. I believe it changes how we view God, his grace, his assurance, the pursuit of holiness, and so much more that I'm sure I even have yet to realize. And again, if I was in the other, on the other side, I would have taken offense to what I just said. My pride would get in there and say, don't tell me that I don't appreciate God's grace and that I'm not, okay? That's how I would have reacted, for sure. And I'm not saying that I wasn't back then. But it's different. Something you can't explain till you get to the other side. It can even change how we preach the gospel. Because when we believe in sovereign election, yeah, we preach that gospel. We don't water it down. No. See, the problem with the church, the church this day has become so seeker sensitive. We water down the gospel to get the unbelievers to come in. If you're preaching the gospel the way you should, God's going to send the people to you that need to come. He will. Seeker-friendly antics, watered-down gospel, just trying to cater to the mind of the flesh. Because, it, again, it so often goes along with the notion that we somehow work with God to bring about our own salvation. And if this doctrine isn't important, why did God choose to put it in the Bible? And why did Paul take so much time to expound upon it in Romans? Hmm? Why? I know of a person who said they go to this church and he said the sermons aren't really deep. They're kind of light. But 
the purpose is they want to draw unbelievers in. And then when they get there, um, go deeper in something like life groups or small groups. Well, the problem with that is a lot of people don't take the time. They barely make it to church. Unbelievers come in. They're not going to take the time, not all of them, to join these groups, okay, and take more time out of their their day or their week. They're not. And not only that, um, that full-blown gospel, including the hard parts, should be taught from the pulpit. The gospel, the hard truths, should not be extracurricular. There is no extracurricular when it comes to the gospel or the truths of God's word. And we're forgetting the church is for believers. Are unbelievers going to come in? They sure are. We better be ready when they do. When they're looking for answers, we better be studied up enough to, to show them the reason for the hope that we have. For sure. And we better accept them um, and embrace them, not in their sinful ways. They need to be clearly taught what is sin and what isn't sin. But, you know, um, whole other subject. But the church is for believers. The pastor is to be equipping the saints. We're to be equipping ourselves through God's word, through prayer, through worship, corporate prayer, corporate worship, to go out beyond those walls and into the world and live out the gospel and preach the gospel, both in word and deed. That's what the purpose of the church is for. But when we put so much weight in, in our part in salvation, um, I really believe it leads to a lot of watered-down gospel and seeker-sensitive churches that are trying to cater to the mind, to the world. And then that you're stuck in this thing where you always have to cater to the minds of the, the flesh or the world, the unbelievers. So I'd like to, next episode, just talk about some of the things that really troubled me and how they were answered. Again, what is it going to hurt you? You can walk away and reject everything I'm saying. That's fine. But I think you're making a huge mistake if you don't at least have a listen. Because we can always learn and always grow. And how many, how many of us have realized we were wrong? I was one of them. I was one of them. So next week, I would love to talk about some of those things. And I want to talk about um, salvation, losing our salvation, or once saved, always saved. <laughs> I'll talk about that next week. But I'll close with this. Revelation chapters 5 and 7 share with us the words that the redeemed of God, that's you and I, will cry out to him before his throne someday. It reads this, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And then finally, we're told in the book too, that they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and forever. Amen. There is no room for us in any of this. The only contribution to salvation that you or I made was our sin. But you know, no matter what one chooses to believe, 
in the end, God will get all the glory. So for the song of the week, I have chosen Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, the most well-known of all songs, right, in the, in the Christian world. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the song for the week. Listen to it. Maybe listen to it with a new set of ears. How's that? And as far as being that one little candle, how can you be that one little candle this week, given what you've just heard? I would say this, my friend, be a truth seeker. As I had suggested earlier in the episode, be a truth seeker. Lay it all out there. Trust God. He's faithful to answer his people when they really, truly seek his truth. And not seeking it from a manner in which we, we seek to have our own perceptions, our own beliefs validated. Give him a blank slate to work on, okay? Ask him to open your heart, your spiritual eyes, and your spiritual ears to what the Bible says about this subject. Approach him in love, trust, and humility to be able to let God reveal to you what he wants to reveal. Because when we have all of God's truths hidden in our hearts, the easy ones, the difficult ones, the ones we can't possibly wrap our brain around, um, such as this predestination, the Trinity, the fact that Jesus was both fully God and fully man at the same time. We are not meant to understand every little thing, but we are meant to trust. And it is our job to compare Scripture with Scripture and to expose ourselves to what the other side has to say when there is um, disagreement or tension over certain doctrines, and this definitely being one of them. So that's how you can be that one little candle this week. And hey, if you have a story of your own on how God came to show you the truth of sovereign election, share it with me. I'd love to hear it and maybe even have you on an episode to talk about it and to share with others how you came to believe in this precious God-honoring, wonderful doctrine. Until next week, you take care and God bless.